to read Psalm 103, verse 10. Don't forget that psalm, Psalm 103, verse 10, especially in light of today's message. I pray that just see what God speaks to you, how he dwells, uh, dwells as you're, you're dwelling with each other. Just, just see what God says, Psalm 103, verse 10. And the last thing, how's your prayer going? Are you praying with people? Did you find someone to pray with? Keep praying. Because I tell you, prayer is a reminder that we can't do anything without Jesus. And it helps you realize all the blessings that you truly have in Him. So, speaking of prayer, let's go to, let's go to the Lord in prayer, eh? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together, Lord, especially that we get to do the Lord's Supper together. God, it's so exciting to see that. It's a, it's a, a, visible, a, visual, a visual image of what was accomplished on the cross for us. And then know that you're coming back. So, Lord, I'm so looking forward to that. Bless us today as we come to your word and, and try to go deeper into it to understand what it means to trust in this gospel message that you have provided. Because that's what it's all about. It's about you. What you have done through your son. That's what the gospel is. It's a proclamation that Jesus has done it all. And that's what brings us rest, hope, and peace and joy. God, be with the churches that are meeting around the world right now in whatever capacity, whether that be on rooftops, in the middle of the woods, or underground trying to keep as quiet as they can so people don't get them and capture them. God, there is, there is there's much pain out there in the world, but your, your kingdom is greater. And you said that the gates of hell won't stop your, your gospel message, Lord. And it hasn't. The gospel keeps going out. God, we pray that uh, will you just convict us of our sins, Lord. There are sins in our life that we don't even realize that we do. There's so many sins in our lives that we cover up trying to justify and we think it's a good thing, but ultimately it's, it's not. But only your word can reveal such a thing. So we pray that you reveal sins in our life, the idols in our life, that we can lay them down. Lay them down at the foot of the cross and just cling to Jesus. And then, Lord, fill us with hope, love, and peace so we can consistently live out the faith. Lord, that's our goal is to consistently live it out saying that Jesus has done it all. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You know, Paul says in Acts 20.24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. You know what that is? He says it. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I find that passage so intriguing because it sums up what Christianity is all about and what we live for. Our life is all about testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. That is our purpose here to speak of God's grace for sinners, to speak of what has been done through his son. To, to live in this truth, to have this truth be reflected in all that we do. And as we've been going over this book of Ephesians, Paul truly has been consistently testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. All through chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Paul has been stating over and over again that everything we need to be in right standing with God has been accomplished and solidified in Christ. 
So all and any expectation that was above our head to be considered holy, to be considered just, to be considered righteous before God in all that we have done and all that we do and all that we're going to do, all has been met solely in the finished work of Christ on our behalf through faith in Him. So in our context today of chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, Paul is going to take us a little bit deeper in seeing and understand what it, in understanding what it means to have faith in this gospel message of grace to which he has devoted his whole life to and which hopefully all of we have too. He is going to show us that we have an extraordinary and, and really mind-boggling, like it rattles the little gray cells in there, at least mine. You see him dying off, like, oh. Can't take it. Anyways, this mind-boggling union that we have with Christ by faith in Him. When we have placed our faith in Christ, there is a distinct or unique union or a, a connection that came about within us that is not found in anything else in this world. It was not just words that we spoke, that we believed in the gospel message of God's grace. So now I'm, I'm going to move on to bigger and, and better things, more important things with my life because the gospel is, is kind of done and old and useless. But no, when we, when we placed our faith in Christ and said, I believe in this gospel message, faith in Christ, there was a radical change, a change that happened in us that ratified our souls transformed us, that should have an impact upon us. There was something that went on in us spiritually that was completely different from anything else you would ever experience in this world. So this union by faith in Jesus, because of His grace over us, should not be overlooked. Too many times we think that being united by faith in Christ through this gospel message of grace is just some truth principle that has no real life application, that the gospel of message of this grace that is now in our life is not really life-changing. It doesn't really have much power. It's just really kind of like a positive message that maybe you'll say when you feel bad sometimes. You know, when you do something wrong, you'll be like, oh, we're saved by grace. Move on. So happy. Understand that when we believe in this gospel message, there is an absolute truth and an absolute statement that we are saying that we believe that Christ is now our one and only mediator between us and God. That he is our representative before God, for he has done everything legally required for us by, uh, before God. And he has bought us by his blood, by dying upon the cross, so he now owns us by faith in him and fully represents us perfectly. So when now when God sees us, he sees his, the perfect life of Christ attributed to us. He sees Christ's righteousness attributed to us by faith in him, even though we have had sinful lives and are still sinning right now, in our life, God now sees our life, at, uh, sees Christ's life in our stead. For all of our sins have been truly forgiven, past, present, and future. But here's the thing. That is just one aspect of what happened to us when we believed in the gospel message of God's grace. 
There is more that went on between us and God, between our union of faith in Jesus. There is this spiritual partaking of what Jesus did and accomplished that we are also unified with by faith in Him. There is this dynamic aspect of Him dying and being resurrected and ascending to heaven that we now take part in spiritually that represents what will happen to us in the future. But we get a taste of it now. We live in it now. Paul has spoken of this topic of the spiritual union that we experience now by faith in Christ uh, and, other, and that we get to look forward to uh, uh, later on in life, in the future, when Christ comes back, he's spoken of this in other books of the Bible. For example, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. There's a union there. It's no longer I who live. There's a union there. But Christ who lives in me. That's just not a nice statement, but a truth statement. Or in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, a union, and may share in his sufferings, a union, becoming like him in his death, a union, that by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, a union. Not that I have already obtained this or already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Union. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, Paul is going to expand on that concept. Or as our title says, help us realize this deep union that we have, that you have in Christ. So let's look at the text then and see what we can glean from the word of God in our union by faith in him. Verse 5 says this, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made made us alive together with Christ. What you have here is Paul reminding us of our spiritual deadness. God looked down and he saw you and me pitifully and wretchedly as spiritually dead people before him. We loved our sin. We were rolling around in it like a pig rolls around in mud. Meaning we were were just sinners who did not want God in our life. But God, out of his gracious love, decided to come running after us to save us. For we couldn't do it by ourselves, and nor did we want to. And this brings us to our first point. Realize the deep union you have in Christ because you have been granted true life. See, God saved us by sending his son to die for our sins and then come back to life. Christ was physically resurrected from the dead. Christ has achieved and has obtained eternal life. So his body will never die or decay again. He has overcome the power of sin and death. So what Paul is saying here then in verse 5 is that what happened to Jesus affects us right now by faith in him. We now, by our union through faith in Christ, have been given a spiritual resurrection of life, or more specifically, eternal life. And we, like Christ, will get a resurrected body like him in the future that will never die. But for now, in this passage, Paul is focusing on the experience of his resurrection that we have right now. Paul is saying that we are spiritually alive in a world full of dead Spiritual people. Being made alive is 
that eternal life that we now possess that affects our quality of life right now. Since we no longer have to fear what comes after our physical death, because we know that punishment doesn't lie uh, before us or wait for us by God, because now by faith in Christ, Christ is our perfect representative, so, when, so we get to go to heaven and be in God's eternal favor, uh, favorable loving presence, just like Christ is. That's what's going to happen. But what Paul is focusing on is right now, that means as we sit in this room or watch online by faith in Christ, this means we have been made spiritually alive so we can now see and understand the world for what it is. You're alive. God has given you spiritual life to live in this world so you don't need to be bound by fear, hate, pride, lust, or death itself. See, there is now something different about you. Something different as you go about this world because you are someone who is truly alive. When you look around this place, this place here is where spiritually alive people gather to proclaim the eternal life that we now all have in Christ by faith in Him. I'm looking at alive people here. Let me put it this way. The greatest threat of the world is now powerless before you. What is that greatest threat? Death. You're going to die. Freak out. (laughs) Your faith in Christ, as you speak of Him and live in Him, resonates this mantra of 1 Corinthians 15, 54-55. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's not there. Our lives now are eternal. Our lives now reflect the eternal life given to us by faith in Christ. Now, you may ask, well, John, how how do I know I have this eternal life, John? Seems like people die around me. How do I know that I am unlike the world, that I possess this eternal true life, that I am alive? How do I know that I need not to be bound by fear, hate, lust, pride, envy, death, or death itself? It's easy to say we have this, John. But how do I know I have this eternal life? What is it? Well, Jesus tells you plainly in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He defines it. You now have eternal life by faith in Christ because you, or at least this should be true of you, if not, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You now have an interest in the God of the Bible. There is a curiosity about our Lord that you didn't have it at one time. There is a joy 
in looking over the Bible that did not exist before. A joy in going to church and being with his people that was not there before. A wanting to have the gospel shared with others so they can know the blessing of the Lord. You hold this gospel of God's grace close to your heart and mind and soul because you now know that without the grace of God, you have nothing. And you... And at one time, you did not think like that before. But now you find yourself at times falling on your face saying, God, forgive me, a sinner in need of your grace. You see your life playing to the old hem. Nothing in that my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, Or I die. To be made alive means you now have these desires and budding love to know God more. And as inconsistent though, okay, follow me this, as inconsistent though as those desires may be, like love and just a desire to know him more. Because remember, we're saved by faith in Christ, not for not love or desires. We're saved by faith. But having faith in Christ produces love and desire. There is a consequence of having faith. You have love and desire now. As inconsistent as it may be, it's a consequence of faith because you are now alive. And they're now able, able to grow to see the eternal life that he has given you through faith in Christ. And on a practical level, this growing in realizing the truth, the true life that you now have by your union with Jesus, by faith in him, consequently then releases you from the burden of clamoring to obtain more things in this world to make you feel alive. To try to get more prestige or honor or respect or attention or acknowledgement or power or control, which just ends up frustrating you anyways because you can never get enough of that in this world. It releases you because you see that you have all those things now in Christ by faith in Him. Because now you are truly alive. So then you are then able to give yourself away to others and to help others and to love them unconditionally. For your life is no longer about taking from others and controlling others to make them into the person you want to be so you can, that you want them to be so you can love them. You don't have to make them lovable anymore so you can get something out of them and feel alive like you have worth and meaning now because you're changing the world around you. But because you find everything in Jesus, for he has given you true life now, you can now love people and invest in people despite them being not the ideal person that you want them to be. You can truly encourage them and help them and bless them and love them because you're not trying to get something from them. You're not trying to obtain anything from them for your own personal fulfillment or mental or emotional stability because you are truly looking to help people because you are alive with Christ. 
And you look to Him to provide everything you need in this world. You have this never-ending source of power to live with all the different types of relationships that you have in this world to love people who irritate you. Of course, you're never one of those people, right? To invest in people who are trying to give you a hard time or hurt you. I'm sure you never do that. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone in your church. Whoever it is, you can love them and invest in them and do good to them despite what they do or think of you or say of you, for you are alive. This, the power of sin has nothing over you. You have salvation and you can love them even if you get no love in return, just pure rejection. You might think, wait, John, hold up. (laughs) I can't do that. I'm not there yet. You're an idiot. (laughs) I can't forgive them. I'm sorry, John, you're a fool. By the way, I was saying I was the idiot, not you. Just know that. (laughs) I don't have enough strength in my body to do that. It's not within me to do such a thing. What's wrong with your thinking? I know I will fail at that, John. I just failed at it yesterday. Or the week, just a couple hours ago, whatever it may be. People have hurt me way too much. But Paul says something here. To answer that claim, to, an- to calm your minds when you have thoughts like, like man, I'm, I'm doomed. I can't do this. I'm going to hell. He answers a phrase here about being made alive, which is really the great theme of Ephesians and truly the great theme of the Bible. He says, by grace you have been saved. What this means is Paul is saying, look, you're right. You can't achieve such a thing. You can't. But Christ has for you. For it's by God's grace you were saved. And the word here, saved, means it's ongoing. So it's by God's grace that you were saved and changed and made alive. And it's by God's grace you will stay saved and stay alive. And it's by God's grace that you will live like one who is alive. The old song, or that new song, he called me out of that grave and I came running. See, none of this is of your own effort. None of this is through your own strength. Paul's not saying any of that here. It's not through your wittiness or mental prowess but through faith alone in Christ. Which is why it's so important to dwell on the grace of God in our life, which is the gospel. For it is through dwelling upon the gospel of God's grace that we grow in realizing and become more aware of the salvation we have, the life we have in Jesus. And consequently, we will start to apply it to our current state in life. We start to live in the grace of God more 
and see our dependence upon the grace of God more in all things when we dwell on this gospel. Or really, we start to realize how much we don't depend upon the grace of God in all things. We see all of our failures and how weak we truly are. And guess what? It motivates us all the more to run to Him by faith and lean into His grace over us. Oh, God, help me, I'm a sinner. But here's the thing. Paul doesn't stop there with this union we have about being made alive. He could have, but he doesn't. He continues in verse 6 and reveals even more what happened to us when we placed our faith in Jesus. He reveals even more how deep this spiritual union goes. He says in verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ. And this brings us to our second and final point. Realize the deep union you have with Christ because you are closer to heaven than you know. So we have another aspect then of our union of faith in Christ here. Paul Paul now says we have taken part in the ascension of Christ into heaven. We have spiritually ascended into heaven with Christ by faith in Him. Notice this verse, end in verse 5. The the repeated word with, emphasizing the spiritual union we now have in Christ. This deep connection with Christ is now. There is a spiritual presence that we have in heaven right now. Now before you get all crazy and mystical here, don't go there. Think of it this way. Because Paul is trying to be really impactful to help us see the power of the gospel in our life as we live on this earth, okay? Though we are physically here on this earth, there is such a closeness that we have by faith in Christ that we are now citizens of heaven, though we live currently on the earth. And by stating this past tense, raised up with him, means that it affects our life now. We live on this earth as citizens of heaven. Not that we're going to be a citizen. We are the citizen. This is a reality right now. We have an official, real-time presence with the king of the universe right now. You're FaceTiming all the time. He is in our life right now. So this means that... We don't live like the rest of the world because we are not citizens of the world. We're foreigners. We're strangers. We live for Christ in His ways. We look towards the heavenly things now that are above, namely Jesus, to see what is valuable, what is precious, what is important, what should be the core and center of our life. Not to people. We look to Jesus to judge everything by His truth. How does this compare with the kingdom of God? So worldly riches ultimately hold no value to us because our riches are found in Christ. Worldly pleasures is not our life pursuit and goals, but rather our pursuit and goals is the wonder of knowing and experiencing the grace and the love and the favor and the joyful bliss of being in the presence of God, the Almighty God. For we have been freed from this world 
and are now able to find everything in Jesus. Life becomes more about where we're going rather than where we are. And boy, do we flip it. We make life about where we are rather than where we're going. See, because we, we realize that we have been freed from being entangled in this world of sin and death now. Freed from getting entangled in all the drama of those around us when it comes to politics and medical procedures. <laughs> Freed from people's unattainable expectations of you. Freed from our failed relationships and those who hold it against you. Freed from the guilt of our past mistakes that have had hard consequences that we're now dealing with in our life. So because we are spiritually always in the presence of Christ in the heavenly, we can always rely upon Him to help us live out his ways in this world by turning to Him in all things. Because we have been spiritually raised with Him and are spiritually present with Him now, we know where we are going and we have our everything in Him so we can freely invest in others with our time, with our money, with our materials to promote the kingdom of grace, the glorious gospel of grace to His people and to those who don't know Him in our communities and around the world. Because life becomes all about heralding Christ and His finished work on our behalf wherever we go and whatever we do. Life is no longer about gaining but about giving because we have gained everything by faith in Christ. And to press this in even more, Paul continues in verse 6 by saying, And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus. Now, real quick, notice Paul doesn't say seated us at the right hand of God. That's for Christ alone. Understand that. He is the sole victorious one. We are seated with him and in him, meaning that we get the, all the blessings from him. The reality of him sitting upon the throne affects us here and now with our union with him. The fact that Christ is sitting shows us that Christ's work is done. It is finished. Salvation has been fully accomplished. Nothing needs to be added to it. And by him also sitting, it shows that he has victory over all evil, sin, and death in this world. And so he sits restfully, making his enemies his footstool. No matter what they do or how much they try to mess things up, it only works out for his glory and promotes his ultimate purpose, that he is the ruler of all and all must submit to him for his work is done. Now, what this means then for you and me, as we sit here, is that even though we still sin, and I'm good at that, even though we still fail, and trust me, I have lots of failures, even though we make mistakes, I'm sure people can point them out. Because we are unified with, uh, with Christ by faith alone in Him, we have then our destinies solidified in Him. By Him taking the throne reveals to us that we too are victorious over the power of evil, sin, and death now by faith in Him. It reveals that nothing brought against us will overcome us. 
Not even our own sin will stop us from being conformed to the image, to his image, and be brought into heaven when we pass away. Why do I need to fear death? I don't. We are now part of his royal family, and we can rest in him by faith and know that despite our circumstances, we are loved and favored by the Lord. We only have blessing upon blessing upon us. Even though we still sin here and now, God loves sinners. Praise Jesus. Now, I know some of you are like, wow, Jonathan. Yeah, I don't think like that. I like maybe on Sunday when we're singing Amazing Grace, but man, throughout the week, I forget all of this. I go back to my normal week and dealing with my kids, my job, my family, the politics of the day. I really don't live up to any of this. And I, and I feel like it's upon me to change things, change myself, change everything around me. And I just get so angry, resentful, bitter, or, or saddened, or discouraged about all that's going on. Well, my friend, you're in good company because I don't live up to that either. And I know Paul didn't live up to that either. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, he, of all the sinners, he is the foremost. But this is why he was constantly testifying to the gospel of grace wherever he went. For without grace, without the grace of God, he knows that he has nothing and we should too. Because we so easily forget and think it's all dependent upon us. But it's not. It was all dependent upon Christ. He won. He did it all. And he's the one that can bring about true and godly, life-changing change. Jesus alone. See, Paul is telling us all this in this passage, not to shame us or to beat us up. He is telling us this to help us just realize what we have in Christ so we can live abundantly in this world and not get bogged down by it. Let go of those chains. Leave those massive suitcases behind. You're going to Jesus. There's better stuff up there. But we can freely and joyfully now live in faith in Christ because we know that no matter what our lives may look like or what we are facing, it's all going to work out for the good in the end. Romans 8, 28 says that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He wants us to live in this truth that we have, the, have gracious favor of God over us every day so we don't have to live in our past mistakes. And we don't have to try to make up for them. He doesn't want us to be exhausted in this hamster wheel of death of trying to build a better you. You are already better in Christ by faith in Him. Just look to Him to change everything and to handle everything. Let Him mold you. Stop trying to fix yourself. You can't do it, but He will. 2 Corinthians 3.18 promises this. He says, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. He will and is doing this. The Holy Spirit is doing this in you by faith in Him. Just relax, chill out, rest in Jesus. You are seated with Christ now. You are in His presence. You are closer to Him than you realize. And more, and more to the point, He is closer to you than you understand. So live your life to trust in Him more, see His glory more, delve into His gospel of grace more, rather than investing your time in things that won't matter in the end. Use everything as a process to get to know Jesus better by faith in Him rather than having everything become this obstacle in keeping you from remembering 
that you are covered by the grace of God through faith in Him. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper today. So go ahead and get that out. You know, we take this Lord's Supper, realize this, that we don't take it to make us worthy. We don't take it because we are worthy. We take it because we understand we are not worthy. 